As we pressed into this topic of sitting and suffering, one thing that's come up often is the idea of perception. Or put another way, what if sometimes our suffering seems so hard because of our perception, because of how we understand what's happening, because of what we think should happen? And we're going to press into that in this episode. I first met Tola when she invited me on her podcast, Phoenix Rising, Finding Your Life Calling. And we immediately connected as we talked. In fact, we had a number of shared experiences, shared moments of sitting and suffering. So I was excited when God brought the pieces together for us to talk on this season. But I became even more excited when the theme became clear, the deceit of normalcy. You see, in our minds, we have an idea of what normal is, and we have a desire for normalcy. But what if our understanding of what is normal, and what if our pursuit of normalcy is actually what is making our suffering feel so hard? And if that's the case, what do we do about it? You're listening to episode 116 of the Where Did You See God podcast. Father God, I just want to thank you that you are God and you are good. And I just thank you that no matter what's at play, whether it's busy days or thousands of miles, we thank you that you are creating a space for this conversation now. So we thank you for it. And we want to give this conversation to you, our thoughts, our words. We just release it all to you because both of us really just want you to be glorified. And we know that you can do abundantly more with our words in this time than we ever could with our best of ideas. And so it's all yours. We thank you in advance for how you're going to work through it. I always pray in his holy and precious name. Amen. Amen and amen. <laughs> so I'm really excited to talk because you and I have already talked before. And I know little bits of your story, but I don't know where this conversation is going to go. So yes. because I already know that we have great conversations together, I know this is going to be good. Yay. But I'm excited to see where it goes. <laughs> I'm excited. <laughs> you know, before we start talking... When you think of those listening, what would you want them to know about you before we start having a conversation? <laughs> That's a tough one. Okay, well, I'm a mother of two girls who are now in the early 20s. Mm. So I've been doing this parenting thing for quite a while. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a research psychologist by profession, although I no longer work in that profession. So these days I spend my time more on the creativity side of things. So I write a lot. I write professionally. I write for my own self and I do a bit of life coaching. And then obviously I have a podcast as well. And that's how you and I met when you were guesting on my podcast. Yeah. And I'm based in Cape Town, Africa. <laughs> yes, which is a beautiful place. Beautiful. <laughs> you know, what's interesting about you and I talking is we could have potentially connected much sooner than this, but you felt like God was inviting you to take a break. I had pretty hefty January and February. So we find ourselves now talking when I'm in the midst of a new season focused on suffering. Yeah. And so I'm curious to hear what God has brought to your mind. I just want to jump right in. As you've thought about this conversation and this idea of suffering, what has God been bringing to your heart? <laughs> you know, Paul, I always, I have in my prayers asked God because I have been through the darkest of times. I've just come out of it. Really, I'm still in the process. Yeah. And lots of lessons learned, tough lessons, 
God really worked on me. And when I started to come out of it, I just said, God, I just wish I could share this with other people. If you give me a platform, whatever platform it is, because all I've ever wanted is to transform other people's lives, whether I transform other people's lives by sharing my story and hoping that they get little gems, you know, that they can take home and use whatever it is. And God having put me through this process and me having come out of it, I just want to help someone out there. Whether it's one person yeah. or two or ten, I would feel that I did something in return to spread God's kingdom, to glorify his name, to give someone hope yeah. that if you are going through the darkest of the dark and you feel like giving up, don't give up on yourself yeah. because God doesn't give up on us. Yeah. He certainly never gave up on me. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, that's one thing I've really appreciated about you and the conversation we had on your podcast and just listening to other episodes is it's clear that that is your desires. You want to create these spaces to process who God is and what he's doing. And we both had some really fun moments in our conversation where I was sharing in the community Bible study that I facilitate the verse about sharing in the sufferings of Christ, but there's also a passage about comforting others with the comfort you receive. So there's this collaborative element. You and I experienced that when I was on your podcast is there are moments one of us would share something and the other would resonate. Yes. And so I love that you are here and ready to share. So Tola, tell me your story. <laughs> right. And hopefully I don't cry while I'm telling it. <laughs> it's a lot. But they always say... <laughs> They always say, you know, you have healed if you can tell it without crying. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so here goes. <laughs> Let's see. I don't even have a box of tissues. Um, anyways, so Paul, I had a pretty good life, I would say. I mean, not rich, not anything like that, but a pretty good standard Above average, I would say I had a good job. Mm -hmm. When I introduced myself, I did say that I am a research psychologist by profession because that was what I did for many, many years, 15 years of my life. And before that, I had been a high school teacher. So I was pretty comfortable. <laughs> and then I lost my job. I was retrenched. So, you know, budget cuts and the work that I was doing, I was actually working in clinical trials, but HIV prevention clinical trials and mainly funded by the U.S. government and, you know, the Gates and all of those people. And so we got to a point where our funding was not renewed. Mm. And then a whole lot of us had to be let go. I'm a very positive person. Honestly, I always say, you know, they need to put my face there on, on, <laughs> on the dictionary and put positive next to me. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, in my head, I didn't stress about it. You know, I didn't cry about the fact that I've been let go. I was very confident in the fact that I have a pretty good CV. And so I thought, you know, okay, I'm just going to go stay at home for a while. I'm going to look for a job. In fact, that's why they say the power of your word. Be careful of the things that you say. I had mm -hmm. always said, oh, I wish I could go on sabbatical. Why can't I go on sabbatical? I've been working for 15 odd years of my life. You know, when mm -hmm. you say those things carelessly, you know, careful what you ask for. Yeah. And so then I got there and I thought to myself, oh, I'm just going to take this as a sabbatical. I'm going to take three months, stay at home, do whatever I like. Mm -hmm. I love training go to gym, go to the beach, travel, all of those things that I love. And then after three months, I'm going to start looking for a job. That was my plan. Mm -hmm. I'm going to start looking for a job. And I was confident that the worst case scenario, maybe I'll get a job within six months. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I had enough savings to last me at least six to eight months. And so that's what I did. 
then I waited and I waited and then I started applying for jobs and then nothing came through. Then I started panicking a bit, but still like, ah, oh, we still have money in my savings, you know. But then those savings start running out, right? Because mm. <laughs> you've got a house to run and you've got kids and all of those things. And then I took a life coaching course because I love working with people. Like I said earlier, my thing is I always want to be in a space where I feel like I can transform people's lives for the better, you know, in whatever form that looks like to you. So then I thought, okay, life coaching sounds like a good plan. It's something that I can see myself doing. So I took a chunk of my savings, actually quite a big chunk, and I paid for the course, Mm. did the course, got certified. And then COVID happened. Just as I was about to say, okay, I'm going to launch my business now. I'm ready, you know. And COVID happened. Mm -hmm. The world went into lockdown and I struggled to get clients because now I'm trying to hustle to get clients for life coaching. And, you know, people are losing their jobs or the hours are being cut down. So no one really has money to spend on life coaching. And Mm -hmm. I've always said this, people see life coaching as a luxury. You know, it's something that you do when you have extra cash, Mm -hmm. when you have to do groceries and pay your rent and, you know, the basic stuff, you really don't think life coaching fits into that picture. And so I really struggled to get clients for coaching. And so naturally the money ran out, literally, Mm. (laughs) Mm. to a point where I was like, I don't know what to do. And then I had to make the decision to rent out my house because I didn't want to give up my house. So I decided, okay, I'm going to find something smaller, move out of my house and then rent it out. So at least the house can pay for itself. (laughs) But Paul, when I say everything started falling apart, I am not exaggerating. Everything started falling apart. The wheels came off. Mm. The tenant I got was a tenant from... Oh God, I don't want to say from hell, but mm-hmm. picture the worst tenant you can ever have. Mm. Didn't pay the rent, did whatever he liked, broke things in the house, stole from me. The worst of the worst. Wow. And now we are in lockdown and it's difficult to evict as well mm. because I mean, eviction rules, it's a process. So I couldn't evict this person. He's staying in my house. Now I really don't want him in the house, but there's nothing I can do about it. And I was praying to God about it. What am I going to do? This is the worst of the worst. The bank is threatening to take the house. I'm negotiating with the bank to please give me more time. Mm. And eventually this guy left my house and I was like, oh, thank God. Then I got another tenant in and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so happy. I found someone else. Came in. Did exactly the same thing. Oh, no. <laughs> I had just replaced him with a copy of the previous tenant. Mm. Same person, different meat suit. <laughs> Did exactly the same thing. I was crying. Things were crashing. I couldn't pay my bills, Paul. I couldn't pay my rent. But this is the thing I love about God. And I'm always going to tell this story. Psalms 91 is my favorite in the Bible. One of my favorites. And you know, I think it's verse 11 where he says he will send his angels where you are concerned to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up. I love that so that your feet will not strike a rock. I printed that and I put it up on my wall because God did come through for me. Yes, things were falling apart, but God sent his angels. People came, supported me. Oh, would you like me to do this for you? 
how are you doing in terms of your groceries? How the, I had the best landlady in the world. I think she's the best. <laughs> she, like there were months where she knew I couldn't pay the rent. Not that she was okay with it, but I think God was working on her too. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it was like, oh, Tola, oh, what are we going to do? But, you know, I'm not going to throw you out. You're never going to be out on the streets. There were times, Paul, where she would come to my room with a basket full of food. Mm-hmm. Here's food. Or she will take me shopping. What do you want? What do you need? You know, cosmetics, this and this and this and this. And God really came through for me. So in terms of my basic needs, I never fell short. I never. So even in my prayers, I would say, God, yes, things are crashing around me and I feel like everything is crashing and burning, but I've never gone to bed without food. And I still have this beautiful roof above my head because that he really made sure that he provided in that regard. So going back to my second tenant, did the same thing. I'm crying every day. I'm begging the bank and this and this and this. Oh, and then on top of that, I can't find a job. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I, I was applying for jobs left, right and center. I have a folder in my Gmail that I call rejections Mm. (laughs) because I was getting rejected (laughs) every time. Paul, when you get rejected by a company that is looking for people to teach English online, and I think, what? Mm. (laughs) I can't teach English online. What about me? Now I see, because you see many of these lessons you learn after when you are reflecting back. Yeah. When you're in it, it's like God hates me. He hates. There were times when I thought he really, really hates me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he has a thing against me <laughs> mm-hmm. because he would not allow these things to happen to me. Like, why do I time and time again constantly get rejections for stupid things? Like, I had to lower myself. And by that, I mean it in the humblest way. I'm not saying I'm high and mighty, but I'm saying coming from someone who had a managerial position at some point in their life to then apply for the, I don't know, internship maybe (laughs) at a company Mm -hmm. and then not get the position. And you think, what? I thought I had a good CV. But when I reflect back and I think about what happened and how things were happening, then I realize God was telling me, because I was applying for jobs back in research, because that's what I know. Mm -hmm, I can mm -hmm. do research in my sleep. So that's what I was applying for. Okay, let me find another company that does research and I have these skills and all of that. And then I would get a no. I would apply to a company where I know someone who works in there and they will tell me about the job and they'll say, it fits you perfectly. We're looking for someone like you. And I would post my CV and I would get a no. (laughs) So then eventually I worked it out that actually, you know, there's a saying that says, If a door doesn't open, quit banging on it. (laughs) Eventually, I was like, God does not want me to do research. Mm -hmm. I think this is the lesson. He is constantly sending the message, not research, not research, something else. He's literally taking me away from that. Mm. I always say to people, one of my things is that I love memes and I have a folder on Pinterest, whatever. There's a lovely meme that I like, which is a picture of a person and, and their angel. The angel is dragging them and saying, we are going this way. And this person is saying, no, we are going this way. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I was feeling like that was me. I was saying, no, I want to go that way. And God was saying, no, 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 we're not going that way. We're now going this way. Right. So I'm saying this to say, sometimes you are 
in the desert. I like to think of it as the children of Israel when they were in the desert. You know, I only learned very late that that trip would have taken them 11 days, Paul. 11 days, mm-hmm. but it took them mm-hmm. 40 years. Yeah. Why? Why did it take them 40 years? Because they were fighting with God. They were being, you know, rebellious. They were still sinning. They were still doing all of these things. And so it took longer. Mm -hmm. And so what I'm saying is the sooner you learn the lesson or the sooner you start saying, okay, I give up control. Because the thing is, we are human. We want to be in control. I want to control things. I want to know there's money coming into the bank so I can pay my bills. And I can't sleep if I don't have a certain amount of money in the bank. Mm -hmm. But God is like, don't worry about that. The birds don't worry about those things. His eye is on the sparrow, right? Mm -hmm. But you are busy worrying about, oh, how much we am I going to get the money? And I'm saying that to say, sometimes when we don't let God be God, it takes longer. And this is all really good because the story you're sharing is one that I think many people have resonated with throughout history, but especially over the last couple of years with the pandemic, this reality of what happens when we lose our job, what happens when we lose our source of income, what happens when we lose what has shaped our identity. I appreciate your story because you're honest about it being hard, but you're also aware of who God was in the midst. You know, when you were in those moments where you felt like God hated you, what helped you to press against that lie? Oh, I really, again, like to think I'm a positive person, Mm. but by being positive, it doesn't mean that I don't get affected by stuff because it really does affect me. But somehow I'm the type of person who will get kicked and be lying on the floor spluttering and then I would get up and try again tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tomorrow is another day. Let's try again. But I promise you, there were times when I, I said it, I said it to God, I verbalized it. And now I'm ashamed when I think about it. But I said those things where I, I said, well, I don't think you even care for me. Um, and, and all those promises that you made in the Bible, clearly none of them apply to me because <laughs> what are you doing? Mm-hmm. I said those words. And I remember there was a time where I said, I just want my job back. I don't, I'm not asking for anything much. Yeah. I just want my job back. I want my normal life. Is that too much to ask for? You know, I had those conversations with God, yeah. but then I would go to bed and I would wake up the next day. I'll feel ashamed of myself and I would be like, okay, let's try again. Mm-hmm. You know, when you are in a position where I'm starting to feel like maybe I'm having the job experience, maybe I'm job, you know, when everything was taken from mm-hmm. him and I was feeling like this is me. I am job today yeah. <laughs> because how else? Is everything being taken? Even when there's a small win, Paul, because there were small wins sometimes, you know, because then I would sign myself up for freelancing gigs and this and that. And then I will get, let's say, a freelancing gig and I will get a little bit of money. And then the bank will come and take it all because I owe so much (laughs) debt. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And I'll be back on the ground crying because what is this? (laughs) No, I'm with you. It is hard. Like, we do feel a guilt about saying such things, believing such things. But I'm comforted by so many of the Psalms that are basically psalmists saying those things like, God, why have you forsaken me? God, I have sought you and you're letting my enemies win. The issue isn't so much what we say and what we believe in the moment, but how we respond from that point. Because 
just like Job, there was no point at which you cursed God and gave up on him. Yes. And that's the thing with Job is Job isn't a study on perfection. Job had his issues. Job did question God. Job wanted God to explain himself to him. But at the end of the day, there was still a part of him that understood that God ultimately is God. And that's the truth that God really brought home to Job is, did you make any of these things? Did you create this? Did you create that? Were you even there when they created? Mm -hmm. I'm God and you're not. Yeah. But Job had already had this resolve in his heart that he wasn't going to curse God and deny him. Yes. This is the hard piece for us in these journeys is before the hardship, we feel pretty good about our relationship with God. This mm-hmm. is where Peter was, right? Mm-hmm. Peter felt pretty good about his relationship with Jesus until the severe hardship hit and then he denied him, right? And one of the things that keeps us from holding firm to God with confidence is something that you said. You were talking to God and you said, God, I just want my normal life. Yeah. And I think this idea of normalcy is such a trap for us because we have in our minds what is normal. Yeah. Compared to everyone else, like what's normal? Nobody wants to be abnormal. Mm-hmm. Like we want to be accepted. Maybe mm-hmm. we don't want to be the best, yeah. but we don't want to be seen as an outlier. Yes. So we want normal. We want our lives to function in a normal way. We want a normal home, normal income. We want normalcy. But if there's one thing that the pandemic taught us is normalcy doesn't actually exist. Right. right? (laughs) Because at any given moment, all of it could be gone. All of it could be changed. And we should have already known this because even between cultures, even between cultures within the same geographic footprint, normal is different. Mm -hmm. And so part of the invitation for us as believers is to recognize that there is a normalcy that we're chasing and then to say, but what does God have for me? Right. It's like the Israelites in the Old Testament, they saw normal as having a king because yes. all the other nations had kings. They didn't. Mm-hmm. And so they felt like the nations were making fun of them. So they said to God, hey, God, we need a king. And God's like, no, you don't. And they're <laughs> like, no, no, we do. Look at all the other nations. They have kings. We want you to give us a king. And God's like, you don't understand. Like, It's not going to work out the way you think it's going to. I'm your king. I'm all you need. I have shown myself as true. And they're like, yeah, cool. But no, we want a king. So can you give us a king? And we all know how that went for them. It was not good. And so tell me how your understanding of normalcy changed from before the hardship to where you are now. Wow. I mean, you've just said it, Paul. We have an idea of what we think normalcy is, but God has a different idea. Mm -hmm. And again, that's why I like it when God says, your thoughts are not mine and neither are your ways my ways. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I've come to subscribe to that, to say, God, this is what I think. But then to allow God to say, uh-uh, that's not, <laughs> that's not what I was thinking for you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I've learned to be very flexible in saying, God, what do you want for me? I just want what you want. So when I finally reached my surrendering point, I said, God, I just want what you want. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever that looks like. Yeah. <laughs> so in other words, I had reached a point where I realized that there's no such thing as normal. <laughs> or the normal that I thought in my head was normal is not <laughs> clearly for God. So I think for me, that was one of the breakthrough moments was where I really completely surrendered and said, whatever you want, mm-hmm. that's what I want. And then things started working in my favor because now I was no longer fighting. 
because I was fighting because I was fighting for my normal. I wanted my Egypt. God wanted to take me to Kenya and I wanted Egypt. Mm -hmm. I was still saying, but I was okay there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, and God was like, no, we're not going that way. We're going that way. Yeah. So for me, honestly, that was one of my breakthrough moments was when I finally said, I don't care what it looks like. If it looks good in your eyes, that's what I want. Mm -hmm. I think they also call it in some cultures or some scholars call it the death of the ego. I think you have to reach there too because the ego says... I'm an average suburban mom who has a house with two garages and this and this and mm -hmm. this. This is the image that I have built for myself. And then God takes all of that away. I remember I spoke in some other platform I was invited to right at the beginning. And I said that the hardest thing for me, having lost my job, was having to assume a new identity. Yeah. When people say, what do you do? I used to say, oh, I'm, I'm in research. Yeah. <laughs> I'm in research. I do this and I do that. And then that was taken away from me. And I remember saying, I can't even call myself a housewife because I'm not even a housewife. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, so all of that, you know, I feel like God had to destroy that whole identity yeah. and help me create a new identity. So these days people ask me, what do you do? I'm a writer. I'm a content creator. I'm a podcaster. It's like I've forgotten the past. This is a new identity. But again, I've learned that also identity shifts all the time. So it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm just a child of God at the end of the day. I think that's the label yeah. that one should be striving for, honestly. Yep. Yep. I'm with you. And I felt the same thing too, is once I lost my job, I was very much aware of how much everyone asks what you do when yeah. they meet you for the first time. And I noticed it before, but you notice it a lot more when you don't have a clear yeah. answer <laughs> and you feel it so and it really sits with you. You're like, oh man, what does this mean about me? And then once you get a piece about, no, I'm, I'm a child of God, I'm an ambassador yes. of Christ. Then you start to say, well, what does this mean about our culture that we emphasize this so much? And there's something else you said that got me thinking, which was you talked about how you wanted your Egypt and God wanted to take you to the promised land, like God <laughs> wanted to take you somewhere else. And it reminded me of a passage that I think is hilarious, where the Israelites had been in captivity, they had been enslaved, and the slave labor had gotten so oppressive that they were longing to be free. Mm -hmm. And then God frees them. Yep. And they are free. And then they no longer have though the access to the normal food and water that they used to. Yes. But just like he did for you, God provided. He made magical manna right. appear on the ground, like at strategic times. So a miraculous, supernatural thing. And yet they complain. Yeah. And it's Numbers 11, starting in verse 4. Now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving. And the people of Israel also wept again and said, Oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our strength is dried up and there is nothing at all but this manna to look at. So like they are sitting here longing to go back to the cucumbers and the melons, not realizing that that also brought with it enslavement, that also brought with it suffering, and it didn't bring with it the supernatural manna, and it didn't bring with it a promised land, something that was abundantly more than they could have asked or imagined. And I think that we're like this. We do grab onto this idea of normalcy. Yes. And we will get to a point that even when we've been freed, even when God has provided, even when God has shown himself, we say, I just want to go back. 
I just, I can't, I don't want to keep on going in this direction. I don't like these unknowns. All right. Now here's the really hard piece. And I know enough about your story to know that this was also a piece you ran into, All right? It's one thing for us to get to a place where we're confronting this idea of normalcy within ourselves. But then we hit the barrier of other people's idea of normalcy being thrust upon us. Oh and I know my. that's a part of your story oh. where you had others speaking into your life. So tell me about that part of the journey. <laughs> First of all, I was going to say, before I get to that question, Paul, I was going to say, again, when you were talking about the Israelites complaining about the cucumbers and all of that, it also comes with lifestyle change, right? Because the identity is tied to a lifestyle, Paul. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I was the person who was using the most expensive butter. I was using the most expensive olive oil for cooking. And then I had to <laughs> give up all of that, yeah. you know, slowly when you realize, oh, my God, I can't have three ply toilet paper. It's time to downgrade. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you can't help but be like, but why? Mm -hmm. I want that life. That's the one I'm used to. Mm -hmm. I want that three ply life. <laughs> I want the three ply. I want my butter. I want my olive oil. I want to eat salmon every night. Mm -hmm. <laughs> God says, no, I will provide manna. It's not going to be salmon, but it's going to be manna. Mm -hmm. I identify with that. But yeah, talking about other people now, you have kind of reached a point where you are now at peace with this new normalcy for yourself. But then there are other people, other external influences who want their vision of normal for you. Mm -hmm. That is the hardest. So how it manifests is people will be pushing you to get a job. People don't believe that you're struggling to get a job. Like, it's just no one believes that because yeah. they've never been in your shoes. Yeah. So they look at you as if you're not trying enough. What do you mean no one wants to hire you? Here's another job they send you in advert. <laughs> Here, yeah. apply for this one. Or speak to that person. My ex-boss, when I was working in HIV research, is now a big wig in COVID. She moved to COVID. So she's quite high up in the country. Someone said to me, your ex-boss is now working in COVID. Why can't you work in COVID? Why don't you? When last did you speak with her? Mm. So, you know, it's all of that that you're not trying enough. Here's an idea. Everyone is bombarding you with these ideas. But by then, you've tried everything and you've had this conversation with God time and again. And both you and God have reached the, the conclusion that that is not what he wants for you anymore. Mm. And you are okay with that. But now how do you explain it to other people? It sounds crazy. It sounds crazy when you don't have a job and you can't pay your bills and you're trying to convince people that I'm not going to apply for another research job again. Yeah. And I think you also shared that you experienced something similar to that in your journey. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head that it's very hard when you get to a place where God has shown something to you where God has given you an invitation and you are fairly confident, yes, this is from God. Right. It's very hard when you realize you can't show that to others. Yes. Like you can't convince them. The wisdom of God is foolishness to man. And a lot of times it is people that do care about you, yes. that are well-meaning and that are thinking of, in their mind, your best interest, right? Well, if Tola doesn't have an income, she can't eat, she can't live, she can't have a home. And so therefore she's got, right? Like they mean well, and meanwhile, you're like, but God is showing me something different here. And that was, yeah, for me, it was six months of unemployment. And in the midst of that, though, seeing what you saw, my needs were met. Yeah. The money that I needed was always there 
And if it wasn't, something else was. Right. And that gave me enough confidence in God that when I had the invitation to step into full-time ministry where I'd have to live off the support, yeah. I felt a piece of doing that because God had already shown himself as provider. And this is where the big truth for me, I was actually just talking about it at the community Bible study that I facilitate. We approach God a lot of times intellectually. Mm-hmm. Who is God and what do I need to know about him and how do I know it? And this is what the Pharisees did. But intellect can only take us so far because, again, the wisdom of God is foolishness to man. Mm -hmm. And so our intellect will always hit a barrier. But it's like this with people. If you just tried to map out in bullet points who they were, it would fall short of who they actually are. It's not until you are in relationship with a person that you could actually know them, that they could do something but you'll actually see beyond that because you know the motivation behind it or you know right. the heart or you know the struggle, right? When you know a person, it actually shapes more deeply what your intellect could never have handled. The Pharisees had a deep intellectual knowledge of God, but not a deep relationship <laughs> because what Jesus said in their midst is, if you know the Father, you'll also know me. Mm-hmm. If you know me, you'll know the Father. Well, they didn't know Jesus. They thought Jesus was a troublemaker. They mm-hmm. thought Jesus was a threat. And so in not being able to accurately see Jesus, it revealed that they didn't actually know who God was, even if they thought they intellectually knew him. And so, you know, I was sharing with the community Bible study that one of the ways this played out for me was around the idea of finances and financial support. Because what normal is is you need money in order to live, as we've been saying. And the way that you get money predominantly is from a job. Mm. You can get lucky and win the lottery or something like that. But for the majority of people, it's a job. So you have to have a job because you have to have money. Yeah. And what God taught me in that season is you actually don't have to have either. This is what the Israelites struggled with. There was the way that life worked in Egypt And then they left Egypt and nothing worked by the same rules. And so they didn't actually understand. Even though it was being portrayed in front of them, their needs were met. Water from a rock, manna from heaven, quail at their feet. They're not used to this reality of God providing. They're used to the reality of them having to work hard to get it or coming through the normal channels. And so when I started living off of support, The invitation God gave me was to not operate out of financial fear. Yes. Was to not make decisions out of a feeling that I needed a certain amount of money, right? And this mindset, by the grace of God, has remained these past three years. This isn't about getting money. If nobody gave any money, God has already shown himself as provider. Yes. Instead, I feel like God is giving me an opportunity to invite you on this journey. This idea of normalcy, though, does not mesh with the other idea of normalcy. So I have still had people in my life that have wondered how much longer I'm going Mm -hmm. to rely on the funds of others. Mm -hmm. When is it that I'm going to get a paycheck again? And I had the same thought as you had is like, there's certain things I don't feel like I need to go back to. Right? But then you look irresponsible. Right. You look irresponsible to them. Exactly. Like, you're not trying enough. You are coasting. I think that's the term. <laughs> 
you and I share such, you know, similarities in our experience of God, because everything you say, I resonate with a hundred percent, because you were also talking about, because you've built an intimate relationship with God, which is what God was busy trying to do with me, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, for almost two years was to build an intimate relationship where it's like, I can learn to trust him yeah. because before I didn't know how much I could trust, you know, it's like, I often think of a, what you call these small birds once it's born and the mother teaches it to fly. It's mm -hmm. like God is inviting you to fly, but you're like, I don't know if I can fly or if you will catch me if I do. And that's quite difficult, but it comes, the more God proves himself to you and he doesn't have to prove himself to you. But what I'm saying is the more he shows you what he's capable of, the more you are relaxing in his presence because you're like, oh, I know, I know he's going to do that. One of my favorite songs is Do It Again because God has done it before. I know he's going to do it again. Mm -hmm. So I, then I came to where I was like, I know God has done this before and he's going to do it again. And then I know he's faithful. If he said it, he's going to do it. There's no way where God has said one thing and then he turned and did something else. But that came, you know, the more you exercise that muscle. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so God shows you and then you give in a little bit and you're like, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so eventually you come to completely trust him. Right. And then now the problem is trying to explain it to other people <laughs> because he has shown you that he can do it yeah. and you fully trust that he is going to do it because those conversations with God are intimate. So it's quite a very intimate space where you can just be yourself and tell him your fears and tell him whatever it is. And, and I always say to people as well. So I would hear someone saying, oh, but I've been praying for 15 years and God still hasn't answered my prayer. <laughs> And then I say, but God has been so good in answering my prayers. He answers them and he's very quick with it. And I love it. Yeah. But the trick is to hear him when he answers. The problem I see with people around me is that when they say God hasn't answered my prayer, it's been 15 years, is because you're expecting a certain answer. Mm -hmm. And sometimes the answer is no. <laughs> mm -hmm. So for instance, let's use the same example of a job. If you're asking God for a job time and again, time and again, and God does not want you to have a J-O-B, <laughs> and then you say, oh, but God hasn't been answering my prayer and it's been 15 years, but God has been answering your prayer. He's been saying no to a job as we know it, yeah. the nine to five. So I don't believe that God doesn't answer prayer. I just think we need to tune ourselves into and say to God, whatever is good for you. So if the answer is no, I'm going to accept that the answer is no. Yeah. And then just tune into yeah. that and hear him when he says no. <laughs> and the funny thing is we forget how much we have asked God for because we have bombarded God with prayers. Yeah. And it very well may be that he is actually answering a prayer when we think he isn't. Take, for example, you had been longing for a sabbatical. And I laugh when you were sharing that part of your story because I was in the same place. I had been working for the ministry I was with for five years. And prior to that point, there was actually something written in the manual that at around five years or so, you would get a sabbatical. And so I was excited that I was approaching this and then they took it out. And I'm like, what? <laughs> and I needed a period of rest. And I prayed around that. And then I had six months of unemployment. right? <laughs> and you had the same experience. And we could have in that moment lamented God not answering our prayers for a job when God's like, but you asked for a sabbatical and right. I've given you a sabbatical and I'm meeting all of your needs. Because this is what's funny. We have come to believe that we have to have a job. But a lot of times what that is based off of is, as we noted, our belief that we need money, our belief that we have to have a good reputation among others. 
a belief that we cannot appear lazy. There's all of this. But we look at the disciples and they were called to leave their jobs to honor mm-hmm. God. Yes. We look at everyday life, people who leave their jobs because they have to care for a loved one, people who God invites to do something and provides in other ways. I mean, there's so many examples of how God can bring fullness and thriving outside of a J-O-B. Yeah. But it is such a very strong cultural expectation that even you and I talking about it, we're probably both thinking of people that yeah. <laughs> will be like, what you're saying that like, <laughs> we're not saying everyone should quit their jobs. What we're saying is everyone should come to know God more deeply and then base their decisions off of that. Yeah. Because when we don't, normalcy will always win out. And we can find ourselves in the same place as the Israelites who had seen God work miracles, had saved them, pulled them through the ocean, and had all their needs met, and be complaining and longing to go back when God is longing for abundantly more for us. Yeah, this is an ongoing topic, Paul. And honestly, I just wish people, as you rightly pointed out, when you speak It's like you are against the job. Mm. Are you saying that you are now above finding a job? Mm. Are you special in some way? But you're not saying that you're special and you've just explained it so well is that, yes, have a job. We're not saying everyone must quit their job. But also it's very important to find out what God wants for you. Because I just think ultimately we are here to do God's work, whatever God's work is. And I believe he has something for each and every one of us. Just seek his direction in terms of what can I do to expand your kingdom in whatever small way that I can do it, you know, in the comfort of my home, maybe, or in the neighborhood, just so that, you know, it's not just about the jobs. It's also about serving God and, you know, doing God's work, whatever God's work is. And also what you were saying about you had been also praying for a sabbatical and then it was given to you and then you, Mm -hmm. (laughs) when it's given to you, you don't remember or you don't recall that you were asking for these things. Again, I said to you earlier, I'm such a lover of memes and I I have a whole folder. I, I had to laugh because, again, the power of the word, the things that you manifest by being careless. Mm-hmm. And I realized how I never really liked a job as much as I liked the security that it came with. Mm. But I was so empty. If I show you the memes where I was saying things like that awkward moment when you get to the office and it's not on fire, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I was, I was saying things like it. And, but thinking that I was just being funny, you know, recently, Facebook, you know, Facebook sends you what you were doing five years ago, six years ago. They sent me this picture of myself I had taken when I was on my way to the office and I was saying this whole thing of having <laughs> to go and waste my eight hours in the office and I can't wait to come back home and live my best life. Mm-hmm. So it's things like that where you know god was like okay you want to live your best life you clearly hate the whole employment thing you know without me realizing that i really don't like the whole employment thing Mm -hmm. but i need it because it's safe it's security it's a paycheck at the end of the day it pays the bills so then god introducing you to this is another way of living that does not include money at all And then now you get it. But now how do you sell that? Mm -hmm. (laughs) I think you and I, because we've got this, we we should package it and sell it to other people. Like, How do you actually be comfortable knowing that you're not looking for a job anymore? It's okay. You've made peace with that part of your life. Yeah. What this conversation demonstrates is part of what God's inviting us to in the sharing of our stories, in the connecting with others. 
we can find that sense of community that we're longing for that when we feel isolated, we have that opposite feeling of what if I'm wrong? What if everyone else is right? What if, but what if, but what if, but right now, you know, someone could be hearing your story and hearing the peace you have, even in the midst of challenge yeah. and say, huh, well, maybe I'm not crazy yeah. for thinking I don't have to jump back into the grind in the same way I did before. You know, the beautiful thing is, again, because we're saying the invitation here is to know God more deeply and then to live from that knowledge. There are stories in scripture of people who essentially got jobs like Joseph took on the job of being second in command and had a pretty I mean, that was a big job. He had to coordinate the food of an entire nation to feed other nations. Like That's not a small thing. That's a huge endeavor he took on. He had a pretty hefty job. But his starting point was knowing God. His starting point included a lot of hard journeys, but that knowledge of God was what positioned him to be able to serve in that role with joy. And so for those who are in jobs who are like, this is a weird conversation because I'm employed (laughs) and I'm listening to two people who are talking about (laughs) unemployment and the invitation is the same, whether somebody is employed or not is God is desiring full life for us. He is desiring abundantly more, but to get there, we have to seek him first. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then God can take even the situation we never thought we could have joy in. Because the Apostle Paul says, I've learned the secret to being content in every situation. Seeking God can bring us to a point where you can be called back into that place that the day before you were saying, I just need these eight hours to go by fast. And now saying, actually, I'm looking forward to conversations with my coworkers, or I'm looking forward to this way that God's invited me to serve. You know, as we close out, just a few wrap up questions. And let's say there is somebody listening that is in a similar hard journey as you were, Mm. where they've lost their job, they've lost their money. There's just so many factors. Maybe they have a crazy tenant in their place, right? But they're having a similar situation. What would you say to that person listening right now? That it will end at some point. This is not a lifetime sentence. Being in that position, in that deep, dark place is not a lifetime sentence. Yes, it takes us different amounts of time. It took the Israelites 40 years. It took me a year and a half, whatever, almost two years. It varies. But one thing I've learned, which I said right at the beginning, is that I've learned that it takes long because there's some kind of resistance. I don't want to do what is called victim blaming. I'm not blaming the victim to say, you're not listening to God mm-hmm. and that's why you are in that position. <laughs> what I want to say is maybe look at search deep within your heart and seek God's guidance and learn the lessons. What are you trying to teach me here? I mean, when I got my second tenant and he did exactly the same thing, mm-hmm. that was the conversation I was having with God. What is the lesson? I was frustrated and yeah. I was like, what are you trying to tell me? <laughs> mm-hmm. Why are you doing this again? But one thing I know is that the lesson keeps coming back until the lesson is learned. Mm-hmm. And that is how God raises us and grows us or whatever, is he keeps sending us these lessons and then we have to learn them. And the sooner you learn the lesson, then you can move on and it will be shorter. And also the one thing that kept me going too 
again me being miss positive is that i kept saying god is not trying to punish me god is not god is not having this kind of a vendetta against me because sometimes it feels like there's some kind of vendetta like he's targeting you mm-hmm. so you need to remember that god is not targeting you he's not trying to destroy you he's not out to get you yeah. there's a reason why this is happening and it's gonna pass this too shall pass <laughs> i was saying to ben lady the other day we were laughing and i said this too shall pass. It may pass like a gold stones or whatever they call them, mm-hmm. but it does mm-hmm. pass. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it's to remember that it will pass. Yeah. You just need to pray about it and find the lesson in it, learn the lesson and then move on. But honestly, if anyone out there is listening to us and they are suffering and they're in the thick of it, I am sending them all my love because I know, I know yeah. I've been there. I've been on my knees crying. There were times, Paul, when I was crying every day. And like, I would cry so much. I would say, dear God, what is this? Why am I crying all the time? But it does pass. It really does. If anyone wanted to hear your podcast, connect with your coaching or connect with you, how can they do so? My podcast is on all major platforms and it's called Phoenix Rising, Finding Your Life Calling with Tola Benny. I know there are so many Phoenix Rising. It seems to be quite a common term, but yeah, it's got my name at the end, Finding Your Life Calling with Tola Benny. And really, I started the podcast because really I wanted to detail my journey to finding what I now see as my life calling. Mm. So available on all platforms and also they can look me up on social media as well under phoenix rising that's great as we close is there anything else that's on your heart that you'd like to share oh that's a tough one paul let me (laughs) think about that one i can talk about god until in the african proverb that says until the cows come home because literally that you know how late it is when the cows come home Mm -hmm. and so i can talk about god's goodness until the cows come home but it's just to stay the course it is hard it's hard i'm not going to sugarcoat it if you stay the course if you pray about it god is so faithful he is one thing i know about god I can lay my life down. He is so faithful. He will hear you. He will hear your case. And there are times when you feel like God has forgotten you or you've been placed in the corner. There were times where I thought that maybe I'm being punished and I've been sent to the corner like a naughty child. But, you know, that's when God is working on you. He is working on your heart. And, yeah, that's all. I don't know what else, honestly. to seek God and seek his guidance. Ask him to show you where he's taking you. That's all. You will walk, you will run, dance through the streets, shouting praise to the one. You're healed, you're clean. Go out, tell the people what you've seen. Revived in him, new life in him. This pursuit of normalcy is nothing new. In Scripture, we learn that God anointed Samuel to lead the Israelites. But what Samuel knew and was trying to communicate to the Israelites is that God was actually the leader, that Samuel was just an ambassador. By the time we hit 1 Samuel 8, Samuel has grown old and has appointed his sons to serve as leaders. But Scripture says they turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. And then verse 4, So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah, They said to him, You are old and your sons do not follow your ways. Now anoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. But when they said, Give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord. 
And the Lord told him, Listen to all the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king, as they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. And Samuel goes on to tell the people just how negative an impact having a king will have. But in verse 19, we read this. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations, with a king to lead us and to go out before us and fight our battles. Twice you hear normalcy in that passage. The Israelites wanted to be like the other nations. And let's be fair, they had plenty of reason to want this. They were seeing the corruption of their existing leaders and they wanted something different. They were seeing the thriving of other nations and they wanted that. And they had their own internal fear of what would happen if they didn't have a king. And maybe they were embarrassed. Maybe other nations had already insulted them for not having their own king. The impression we get from this passage is that their call for a king was nuanced, but was still wrong. Their desire for normalcy, though it seemed right to them, was not what would bring them full life. Because everything they asked for in verse 20 were things that God had already proven he would do for them. They wanted a king that would lead them and go out before them and fight their battles. They only existed because God had led them. God had gone out before them and God had fought their battles. But in their desire for normalcy, they forgot all the ways God had already proven himself. They forgot the Red Sea. They forgot the manna. They forgot the walls of Jericho. The deceit of normalcy made them believe that what they had wasn't enough, and being like all the other nations was the solution. We can extend ourselves grace here, because just as with the Israelites, there are a lot of reasons we desire normalcy. And let's be clear, the invitation here isn't to reject what is normal, but to make sure that we are not rejecting God in the process. Let's look back at verse 7. Listen to all the people are saying to you, It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. What if the deceit of normalcy is causing us to reject God in our lives? And what if that rejection is causing us to miss the comfort that God is longing to offer us in the midst of our suffering? What if taking a bold step towards the abnormality of God is actually what will bring us peace and restoration? As we've said often, the wisdom of God is foolishness to man. Pursuing God, trusting God, will not look normal, will not be normal. But perhaps the bigger question is to ask, in what context are we looking for normalcy? Are we looking for what is normal here and now on this earth? Or are we willing to embrace what is normal in eternity, what is normal in the kingdom of God? What if the invitation here is actually to choose the normalcy of God rather than to default to the normalcy of man? Natola made it clear that making this kind of a decision doesn't mean that everything gets better. There may be people around you that desire normalcy for you that will wrestle with your bold choices to trust God in the midst of hardship. But as she also said, this will pass. Stay strong because God is with you 
Just as God longed to lead the Israelites, he longs to be present with you now. In fact, he is present with you now. The question is, will you accept him in all of his abnormal ways or will you reject him? But if you embrace the abnormality of God, I promise you, just as Tola experienced, God will be at work around you. And as he continues to work around you, you can ask yourself, where did you see God? Have you ever wanted to read Revelation but haven't known where to start? Or have you been afraid to read Revelation because of all the ways you've seen it misused? Or maybe you haven't even wanted to touch Revelation but feel like maybe you should since it's part of the Bible? Well, if you're in any of these positions or any other ones, I've got a resource for you. It's called A Journey Through Revelation for the Person Who Doesn't Want to Read Revelation. And here's the thing. The hope for this resource is that it makes the exploration of who God is and what revelation can mean for you accessible, whatever you believe. And this will not be your normal revelation study. It's not going to dive into the historic representations of the imagery or expertly decipher the prophecies. The goal of this is not to tell you what revelation means. It's to explore what it can mean for you. Now, this thing is available for you right now in a few forms. One you could go to www.wheredidyouseegod.com slash revelation, and you can find a PDF for free, which you can read on your phone, on your device, or print out. But if you like something that's a little nicer looking, it is also available through Amazon on Kindle and in paperback form. And I prefer paperback, whether you print it or you get the one on Amazon, because this gives you a place to write some things out because you're going to want a place to write things out. Because I really do believe that God wants to speak to you through Revelation, whatever you feel about Revelation, whatever your experience and whatever you think about God. So if you're interested, get it for free, get it for a very, very, very low price. This is not about making money, but about us together exploring how we can see God in the midst of such a difficult and controversial book. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the Where Did You See God podcast. And I would love for your stories to be a part of it as well. So there are a number of ways that you can do that. You can check out our Facebook page at Where Did You See God podcast. You can go to anchor.fm slash Where Did You See God, or you can leave a brief voice message at 804-372-3836. I would love to hear your stories. And if the stories you've heard have encouraged you, uh, think of someone else who could be encouraged as well and share it with them. The music you've been listening to is You'll Walk, You'll Run by Urban Doxology. They are a solid group and you will love listening to the rest of the music. So check them out. And as always, as you go through your day, ask yourself, where did you see God?